Welcome to the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing podcast. I'm founder and host Sarah McGuinness. The Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, or RO, is a community of wellbeing managers from organisations around the globe. At RO, we develop you as a wellbeing leader, giving you a powerful support network, professional development, and workplace wellbeing solutions so that you can focus on giving your employees the right support at the right time. To be stronger, better, and faster at improving wellbeing in your workplace, professional development is key. These discussions on workplace wellbeing are designed to inspire, share ideas, and raise awareness of important issues we can all take action on. The interviews are recorded as part of our monthly Wellbeing Wednesday webinars. In this session, we're joined by guest tech entrepreneur and investor Ben Reed to discuss wellbeing and technology. Ben is an experienced advisor with a deep industry background in tech business strategy. Ben works with a wide range of organizations spanning multinational software companies, government agencies, and startups, bringing tech capability at a governance and executive level. We discuss the role of technology in improving health in the workplace, plus look at data security and privacy, particularly with the recent hack of wearable device maker Garmin. If you're considering tech as part of your wellbeing strategy, this is a must-listen interview. Um, yeah, look, so I, I, um, I operate as a sort of independent advisor uh, these days, um, working, like you say, with a diverse range of businesses um, and organisations, you know, focusing in, at that intersection between business strategy and, and technology. Um, and, you know, I've got a, a hard technical skill set um, originally, so I sort of self-taught as a software developer back in the uh, early 90s um, and then sort of worked my way up on the tools, um, uh, you know, for, for a number of years. I moved over from the UK 2004, actually, um, with uh, with my young family as was. Um, my eldest actually turns 20 in two days, which is quite scary. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I worked I worked with HP, uh, Hewlett Packard, as, uh, for a few years as a software architect there. And then um, I've been running my consulting company, Mimia, um, uh, since then. So, so I, I, I generally work with, um, you know, senior management teams, uh, technology leadership teams and, and boards. Um, and, you know, we, we really look at uh, how modern technology, um, you know, creates opportunities, uh, strategic opportunities, and also sort of some of the challenges um, and, you know, disruptions coming down, down the road um, from that. So, yeah, broad, broad technological understanding. Um, I spent the last couple of years really interesting role heading up the um, AI Forum of New Zealand, so Artificial Intelligence Forum. Um, and that's a sort of a national think tank um, that brought, brings together, uh, you know, industry, uh, government and the universities as well, um, you know, to look at, uh, you know, how artificial intelligence is, is going to be applied uh, through throughout New Zealand. Um, that was a really interesting role as well. Yeah. That would be really fascinating to understand the role of AI because that could potentially completely change, we talk about wellbeing, completely change how we improve wellbeing. Perhaps you could talk to that. Yeah, I mean, so it definitely has a lot of um, applications in health. And I think, you know, the, one of the things that I've taken from that role is that, that you know, the, the term artificial intelligence actually covers almost, I always say, it's like a salad bowl of, of actual technologies. And so you've got some chatbots and you've got talking heads, um, that, you know that, that, that you're, you're having a face-to-face conversation um, with uh, right up to the and also the machine learning side of it which is you know taking vast amounts of data from all different sources 
and crunching that to find the patterns and make better predictions from it. So, you know, that's the core tool set. Um, yeah, how that can be applied to health um, is all, you know, and I, I perhaps we could talk a little bit to start with about, you know, how you define well-being. Um, and I think from as a technologist, I just, um, my instinct is to go to the quantitative uh, measurement side. And so, you know, when, when you and the audience are working in this well-being space, um, you know, what is it that you're actually measuring? Yep. So how do you, how do you measure improved well-being along a number of different, um, uh, you know, and, and different measurements? Yep. Um, so I, I, I'm definitely not the expert there. So perhaps we could go to, into that a little bit. And if you've got some insights or maybe some, some of the other group as well. Um, yeah, yeah, so in terms of wellbeing, I guess, and it's a really good question, how, how do we define it, what does that look like? And, you know, there are so many different models out there. Um, I think almost if we break it down to almost its most simplest, it's you could actually just use life satisfaction as, as one of the most simplest mm. ways of, of So a, sub, a subjective measure. Yeah, subjective measure. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, of course, there are plenty of others when you get into workplace. You know, you can look at things like the health and safety statistics or you can look at, um, you know, EAP attendance or all those other things. But I guess in some ways you can look at it as the mental and physical well-being, the social well-being, the environmental well-being, mm. um, the financial well-being. Um, and, you know, depending on, on your perspectives as well, it may also be the spiritual well-being uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, some subjective and some where there's some quantitative measures as well. Yeah. So, so even for the subjective ones, I think there's an ability to create, you know, a longitudinal set of, um, of measurements. And so, you know, every day check in how you're feeling today, one to ten, for example, or, um, you know, happy, sad, you know, maybe that maybe there's a two by two grid or something of... of um, other things and so you know I think in terms of where technology plays um, its role in this it, it's to bring that that kind of subjective data and then the objective sensor derived data and so that might be you know uh, health measures um, you know I, I, I'm a Garmin user and so all of my um, you know sporting activities are uploaded to Garmin and up, uploaded into uh, Strava from there um, and so, you know, that, that, that's a seamless um, uh, transaction now that, you know, coming off a, in off a run and 10 seconds later, you can, you know, look at the map of where you've been, you know, get your heart rate stats, get, get all your, um, you know, and check my declining speed on my sort of standard segments as, as it happens. Um, and, you know, and, and so, but the, the, those are, and then what, where the machine learning piece comes on top of that, I think is, that you can take all of those um, measurements, you know, of the various dimensions of well-being, and if you think about a sort of a spider graph type representation of that, um, then you know you, you can sort of see, uh, you know, how get a current state on on that well-being, the measurement of it, and the visualization of it, um, but then see that over time. Uh, I think is you know the technology enables you to visualize you know perhaps that you know my sport you know got injured and my sport was so it wasn't so good and i actually started feeling you know some of my subjective measurements weren't, weren't so good as well um and so and then you know the, the ai machine learning pieces where you take that data and let's just leave aside the privacy sides of things for now but you can take the you know that data across broad population sets um and crunch it together so you can actually start to see patterns um, uh, you know, in in the population as a whole, and maybe different demographics within that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then from those 
from those correlations, you can then make predictions. And so you can, um, you know, whether it's causality or just correlation, but you can certainly correlate that, well, you know, if you did a bit more exercise next week, then perhaps your feeling of well-being may, may go up as well. So that, that ability then provide sort of little nudges to people and, and sort of automated coaching along the way. So, so that's what it immediately sort of jumps out to me for it's solutioneering straight into this is, is a, it's a data um, uh, landscape that, that we'd be playing with there. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the software um, is, is ubiquitous now to enable us to have that immediately on our phones. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, coaching us, coaching us towards, you know, a better, more measurable outcomes of well-being, I guess. Yeah. So in terms of, I was thinking the the power of that data source is huge. So you know you could either do it on a country scale or on a workplace scale, but to yeah. see tangibly see the differences as you're you know applying them, or to also as you say track things over time. Um, much more minute example, but it's like looking at the flu tracker emails that come every Monday. I'm not sure yeah. how many of you have signed up to that service, and you can see that data change over time and compare it year to year. So I imagine for workplaces, that would be a pretty and Im- powerful set of data to use to compare. Um, yeah, it would be. And I, I say, I, I think you have to be careful with, with um, you know, w- with data and algorithms around the sample sizes that you're using. And, um, and, you know, I think we're all aware of horror stories around, you know, biases and algorithms and biases and, um, uh, you know, and how artificial intelligence technologies are applied. Um, and so you could get some quite perverse outcomes out of this that drives certain demographics to certain behaviors and the other way around. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's a great deal of caution applying it at a corporate level. Um, I, th- I think, you know, certainly at an individual level, um, you know, where you have personal data sovereignty in some ways. So, you know, it's, it's my health data, my in Garmin, you know, let's leave aside the fact that they got hacked. Um, it's, uh, that's, we might come back to that. Um, but uh, the, yeah, that's my, that's my personal data of which I have control. And so, uh, you know, and, and I, there's a sort of quid pro quo that for that free service, I sort of provide my anonymized data into the big pool against which, you know the the data scientists are able to do the analysis and, and come up with the you know um, with those correlations at a at a big population scale, um, and then yeah you could potentially do that at a corporate level as sort of the, so you know this collection of people um, you know are uh, yeah uh, benchmarked against you know uh, the global population in such such a way. Yeah. Can we come back to that idea of the bias? Because I'm not sure how, how familiar people will be okay. with the level of bias that comes in um, to the different type pieces of technology or, or systems out there. Yeah. Oh, it's really topical at the moment. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, you get my newsletter, don't you, Sarah? So yes, I, I, I write a weekly um, newsletter, uh, uh, you know, talking about, you know, developments in technology, um, you know, in New Zealand and around the world. And it's very topical. It was, today's um, issue was all about the, in the UK, um, they, because of COVID, the students weren't able to take their final exams um, at the end of the school uh, year, which is mid-year in the UK. And so uh, Ofqual, which is the equivalent of NZQA, um, applied an algorithm across a, uh, the you know and, and across all of the data provided by the schools um and as a result predicted what grades 
the student each student would have got in each subject and then gave them that and so on further analysis um the that it turns out that basically the the algorithm they used um appeared to favor students from private schools significantly more than um, students from state schools and so there was a lot of students from state schools schools downgraded um, and it didn't take into account deliberately didn't take into account teacher recommendations and, and teacher predictions um, and so you know the, that that's a cat the UK government now has had to u-turn on that because that's a sort of um, almost catastrophic <laughs> application of tech of, of technology um, and algorithms in a way that uh, you know creates these uh, pervert, you know, unintended and, and in the end sort of biased outcomes due to due to the algorithm and it could also be to the source data as well um, and so you know there's a lot of evidence around um, uh, you know in the US they were using a profiling system um, which predicted for judges, you know, whether, what the likelihood of a conviction was or not. And obviously that's fed in with data that the majority of, um, uh, you, you know, people that are convicted are of a certain, of black ethnicity. And so ev obviously when someone turns up with that ethnicity, when that's a, um, a factor, then the model predicts that, that uh, you know, there's a higher chance of a conviction. And so it, that's definitely, there's a, there's a lot of governance controls around that now. Um, but uh, you know, but then the UK example shows that it just hasn't filtered up to some of the you know the most mainstream organisations. Um, New Zealand government's pretty well advanced, actually. To be honest, you know, one of the world leaders in the space, um, and they put together what they call the algorithm charter across the public sector. Some may know about that, which um, is a commitment that all um, algorithms and and you know, we probably haven't got time to go into what an algorithm actually is, but. Um, you know, all algorithms, uh, you know, in use in government will have, um, you know, will, will apply to sort of principles, for example, transparency, um, uh, sustainability, safety, um, uh, and uh, accountability as well. So, you know, who's, who's actually accountable when one of these algorithms creates, you know, a, a negative life outcome for somebody, you know. And that's probably a good segue then in talking to the proliferation of apps that are now available and I'm sure most of the um, attendees here will have at some time or other either come across a, a free app to use on your phone or um, you know someone will approach them about selling apps for the people in their workplace what are some of your thoughts around how those are built what we should be looking for uh, yeah it creates a bit of a procurement uh, minefield um, if you're a um, an organization you know, paying for or recommending an application for your employees that handles personally identifiable data and private data. Um, and so, you know, I think that boundary between, you know, what is my data to, you know, mine to know about me and I, I control and I own it and, and what my, you know, employer has the right to know about me, um, I think, you know, is, is still a very blurred line and is still, um, a, you know, and, and as a result, some of these apps, you know, because the customer is the employer, um, would lean more on that side um, in terms of the the data usage and data sharing agreements. So I think that um, organisations should be very careful when when procuring one of these systems that they're very clear about you know whose data is it that's actually in it um, and what who has what 
rights to do what with that data um and especially you know especially in the well-being space where you you think about you know mental health um information for example um then you know there are certainly some pieces of information that i that you know as as an employee one wouldn't want one's employer having anything to do with or knowing about um would be my sense so so for me it's here be dragons is my instant sense that um you know I, I guess it's what is the role of, of that employer organization to, um, you know, to, to handle that in the private data. Um, it, you know, at the same time, it could, you know, potentially there are, you know, opportunities to, yeah, to provide. It's a free tool uh, for staff to sort of, you know, improve their own well-being themselves. Um, and, I, and, you know, if there were ways of basically anonymizing that data in a large enough organization, then potentially that, you know, that could be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be a good chance then to talk about the recent Garmin hack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was, um, it's this details, the details aren't um, clear. And I, uh, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but uh, so Garmin is um, a, a sports um, technology company sports uh, so you know watches and um, heart rate monitors and and you know basically the, the, it's network now it runs as a service and so all the data that you collect on your on your watch your sports watch is now collated up into the cloud um, and sits inside you know Garmin's IT infrastructure um, where it is supposedly kept safely and securely um, and you know and, and free from uh, hackers Recently, their service went down for almost uh, a week. I think it was in the end. Um, and I don't know if anyone is a, is a user. I, I certainly am, and it's got very. There, there were stories about people not not able to get kudos on Strava because it didn't go, because it didn't sync through. And, and uh, um, I thought that was a little bit rich. Um, but yeah, it does raise concerns. So apparently, it was a ransomware attack, um, which is where uh, you know hackers basically create a. Uh, a virus which gets inside an organization's computers inside the network and encrypts everything on the hard drives on the storage of those computers uh, and the only way that you can encrypt unencrypt it is to pay them and i think that you know a ransom of 10 million dollars in, in bitcoin i think was the the number i heard um and so it, it's unclear there's rumors that they paid it um and and came through it, it's unclear how that worked out but yeah lesson for all of us um and so that you know there are concerns that if if that virus can get inside the network then clearly um it's not it's a, not a, that number of steps for the, that data to leak and so you know all of your health data um for example if you know there's potentially you could spot heart murmurs or um you know and and i've got Garmin weighing scales at the back, and so you know those those nights when I've been eating a few too many pies. The next day, you know, it, it probably doesn't look so good on the insurance um, uh, insurance application. So, yeah, definitely concerns. But at the same time, um, you know, I get a huge for me. I get a huge utility from that service, and <clears throat> um, you know, it, it, the, the, that that quid pro quo of you know. Oh, letting them sort of create intelligence from that data that I provide them, I think is um, it for me that the balance works out, but yeah, it raises concerns. If it happened again, I think I'd definitely think about another uh, watch manufacturer. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I do remember someone on Twitter saying, you know, if it wasn't recorded on Garmin, did it actually happen? 
<laughs> which you know, well, you know for yeah. many of us who rely on, on you know those things <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's it is completely true um that uh, you know I, i'm a bit of a runner and a swimmer and uh that uh, you know part of my strava is probably my third most active social network actually and um you know and, and from a well-being point of view uh, it's been great i mean i found lots of of, of like-minded you know friends and so on that um yeah, you give kudos on Strava if you if you know it, and it's uh, yeah, lots of banter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that, that behavioural stuff that you talk to. You know, it's it's that interaction with technology and this mm. and the social aspect, and that those behavioural nudges that encourage you to yeah. to do things. And I and I imagine in a COVID world, some of these things are going to become increasingly important because if we're, we're working remotely, um, there's less of that in office interaction. Uh, those things will play a greater role. Yeah, I, I suppose they, they will. Um, and, you know, on from a well-being perspective, I, I think there's two camps about the um, the working from home, you know, uh, experience. And, you know, per- personally, I, I found it hugely empowering um, from a flexibility point of view, from a time management point of view. Um, actually, probably, you know, to admit it, but, you know, I actually prefer this kind of um, meeting environment, collaboration environment than an in-person one, um, you know, uh, uh, in the main. Um, uh, and then, yeah, as I say, the time management, um, but also being able to operate outside New Zealand um, has been, you know, the, the main factor I've found that, it, you know, one is just because the whole world's likeness now, the, the tyranny of distance to, you know, communicate, collaborate, do business with people, you know, outside here and not have to get on a plane um, has been, you know, pretty empowering, liberating. Um, yeah, my experience. Uh, what, and the other per- piece of the question, yeah, in terms of the the, the, the remote um, gamification, um, uh, yeah, these these kinds of tools, yeah, absolutely. Having having alternative uh, channels to communicate and collaborate. Uh, um, on, on digital platforms, uh, you know, it's definitely coming to its own. You, you're starting to see uh, virtual reality as well, just mature. Um, and so, you know, it will be a, a very small number of years now when this context will actually be in a virtual spe- 3D space. Um, and so we will all be, you know, have physical presence. We'll have you know, there's hand trackers uh, that, that man- and that, you know, uh, understand your gestures uh, in real time. So, you know, the, the, the um, fidelity and, uh, and you know, the amount that you can communicate will, will approach physical space very quickly and actually will augment it um, because, you know, the ability to have, uh, you know, data, for example, about everybody on the call hanging around them, um, your ability to switch to a different avatar um, in each context. You know, I, the mind just travels down that direction and, and uh, you, you know you can just uh, just imagine um how it work there's actually a bunch of conferences now that are happening like that in the tech sector um where everyone just sticks at the moment you just stick a oculus headset on and um you know and it, it's still clunky um to a degree but it, it's the technology is maturing at a huge rate and yeah another thing in the newsletter today was uh, some korean scientists have worked out a way to 3d print um you know, massive ultra high resolution displays. And so um, that are sort of, I think 5X or 10X the resolution on a, on a phone currently. So that would mean that you'd have your virtual reality headset on and actually the resolution there is your eye probably can't distinguish from that from reality. So, yeah. 
I imagine that that will completely change because, you know, one of the things we talk about with COVID is, you know, and people working from home is that loneliness factor. So it sounds to me like we can almost create these worlds that will help in some sense to, to reconnect people, to make people feel less alone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, for me, I, I'm clearly a techno optimist, um, technophile. And so for me, I, I see these things as quite empowering, I think. I, but I acknowledge a lot of people really like, you know, face-to-face um, collaboration and, and communication, so which will never go away. Um, but in the same way as, you know, my, my kids' generation are glued to TikTok the whole time, um, you know, actually you, you get a sense that the virtual world may be more engaging for younger generations um, than real world. Yeah. And so just while we talk about this future, you know, what else can we look forward to in the, in the technology space, but perhaps with the well-being bent as well? And I imagine there must be an absolute, you know, such a wide range of things. Yeah, and, and with, with any, um, you know, technological change, you know, there's always uncertainty. Um, you know, classical, classic quote uh, attributed Bill Gates, I think, is we always underestimate, overestimate what's going to happen in two years, underestimate what's going to happen in ten um, and when you think the iPhone is only just over 10 years old, um, that, you know, and how ubiquitous that is now, um, and almost aging technology. Um, so look, I, the, the key things I track definitely virtual reality, augmented reality, as I said, um, I think that that's been, you know, on the edge of reaching maturity. Um, and I think we've seen a massive acceleration due to COVID, um, in, in those use cases. So, you know, from a collaboration point of view, um, I think it, uh, you can do a lot more in one of those environments together than, than on, a, on a Zoom call like this. Um, clearly, you know, the, the fact that we are all able to um, have telepresence now and actually collaborate in, in a way like this has huge impacts on the travel industry, um, tourism industry. And so, again, yeah, another thing in New Zealand, the Japanese tourists are... Uh, you know, actually paying now to um, go and sit in a in a plane cabin on the tarmac, put a virtual reality headset on, and, and go and visit uh, Milan or um, or Venice uh, <laughs> in in an Oculus. And so, you know, that's where the tourism dollars may go. Um, yeah. So, other than VR, um, I you know I, I see a lot of um, uh, cyborgism happening, um, and you know, I probably consider myself a cyborg in that I'm sort of a large chunk of my being is now outsourced into the cloud. And so I can't really remember anything, but I know where it is. I don't know what I'm doing from one minute to the next, but my calendar tells me. Um, and, you know, uh, and I, I've got all, all my memories are now in Google photos um, and, and there to, you know, to trigger um, what was actually going on. So I, you know, definitely that augmentation of the biological self with, with technology, I think is a, is a trend. Um, and, you know, and whether that actually happens to be a physical interface um, and, you know, you've got Elon Musk and um, Brian Johnson with uh, Neuralink and Brian Johnson with Kernel are two companies that are leading that brain computer interface piece. Um, Facebook bought a company, um, I can't remember their names, no, the name now, something labs um, that, that worked out that, you know, the actual best way of doing a brain computer interface is actually to, that the highest nerve density in your body is just around is in the hand here. Um, and, and so they were just monitoring nerve activity here and you could effectively, you'd have another 10 fingers, um, that it is how it, how you end up controlling it. 
um, so virtual fingers, uh, uh, you know, to, to do, uh, and as a result, you're able to, they were trying it with um, various computer games, but you get, you know, it's like having extra hands on different con controllers. So, um, yeah, so those, those are the technologies I guess I, I monitor the most. Um, I think as we were talking about measurements of health data and so on, so the the trend, Internet of Things is um, where you, you have internet connected sensors um, which are becoming ubiquitous, and so there'll be more and more sensors I think that are um, able to pick up on you know biochemistry of the body, early detection of of disease, early detection of um, of illness. Probably even you know getting a virus um, is another one, uh, and just automatically. Um, uh, check that uh, and then artificial intelligence as well. So, um, you know, first of all, it won't be very long with deep fake technology till we're on a call like this and we actually don't know whether the person on the other end is real. Um, it get, it'll get harder and harder to tell. Um, and you know, that, that, that technology is, uh, is mainstream now to create, um, what are called deep fake videos. And so this is where someone can puppet another character, you know, a real world person. So they can make Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Jacinda Ardern say something in their own voice with their own physical expressions um, and, and face it. And, you know, distinguishing the, the truth from the, the fake, I think is going to be one of the major challenges in the next few years. Yeah. That's just a little, little wander through a few things on my mind at the moment, but yeah. Well, each of them are fascinating and it would be interesting to unpack, uh, you know, each of those, but I'll start with the virtual reality because okay. that is a piece you're know, talking with about mental health, you know, increasingly they're looking at how can they offer services around mental health that might include virtual reality or their artificial intelligence to, um, as you say, you know, uh, predict what people you know what support they might need or even how to provide therapy uh what are some of your thoughts around those options in in the sense of so you have virtual reality therapy mm. for example um yes. yeah oh i mean just think about the recent lockdown and um you know we're so lucky in new zealand that that you know many of us not all of us but you know live in um you know buildings where we've got access to the outdoors um, and maybe a bit of space to run around in, but you look at the folks in Europe, the folks in China who've been locked down in high rise apartments for weeks, you know, uh, months in, in some cases. Um, and so that ability to, yeah, put a VR headset on and, and get out into the outdoors um, and, you know, complement that with maybe a, uh, some kind of, um, uh, what, what do they call it? Like a trampoline type arrangement, which, which, you know, tracks your movements and effectively you can go, go for a run uh, without actually uh, like a treadmill, uh, a three-dimensional treadmill um, is an option. Yeah, so so definitely options to get out into the outdoors. I think that's very therapeutic. Um, uh, yeah, and, and then what you're also finding, you know, in, in countries like New Zealand, but Japan's a prime example where um, the um, uh, you know you've got an aging population, and you know the health workforce is um, you know stretched already, and will become more stretched. Um, so how do you, you know, automate home care um, and how do you, you know, give people company, uh, you know, when, when they do get lonely? So definitely there are researchers that are looking at, um, you know, talking toys um, and, and, you know, it sounds quite eerie and black mirror, but, you know, from a, it, when, when your mental cognition, um, cognitive decline is happening, 
then there is certainly evidence. I think there's some researchers at Auckland University actually that have been doing this, where you know having a conversation and a, you know almost like a Sudoku type um, you know mental stimulation from with an interact a social interaction actually slows down cognitive decline. Um, I think there's some evidence there. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely you know that that a um, the the virtual human um, that uh, technology that we're starting to see you know and it's it's, it's still a little bit um, sensational um, and you know and marketing led but uh, you know increasingly it would be calling Sarah up like this on a, on a Zoom call and having a conversation and you know it being. 99% there as a human to human interaction. Yeah. I actually had a, a, a few years ago, I um, was one of the early adopters of a service called Clara and there's a whole rabbit hole. You can go down as to why all these digital assistants are called, have got female names, um, which, uh, you know, it, it's a, again, going back to the biases um, we we're talking about, but yeah. And it was a email service that managed my diary. And so I would, uh, you know, send an email, um, to, to you, Sarah. So, Sarah, great to catch up. Uh, yep, we need to uh, catch up for this meeting about XYZ. Um, CC Clara, please, can you get in the diary? And then you'd have an email conversation with Clara who says, Yeah, I'm just going to pick this up. Can I get this? And it, it, I suspect in the early days, it was actually a sort of sweatshop in the Philippines, you know, of people sort of people pretending to be uh, robots, but it became more and more automated. And we're starting to see the natural language capabilities of AI. Um, if anyone's seen the GPT 3, um, our uh, AI stuff from OpenAI that's come out. It's quite phenomenal how it's a computer. It's basically internalized all of the internet and then run a model. And it just basically predicts what the next word's going to be. You started off with a sentence, you know, a few words, and then it just writes and writes and writes and writes. And it's actually, it takes you a little while to go, oh, actually a machine wrote, wrote this, not a human. Um, uh, and so that, that'll happen for speech as well. Yeah. Mm, it's fascinating and and it probably talks to um, you picked this up in your newsletter today about misinformation and how quickly things can be picked up from you know perhaps yeah. a thread on reddit and all of a sudden it's everywhere yeah and, and well we, we've seen obviously with the Cambridge Analytica um, uh, and Facebook you know scandal um, so there's a really excellent insider account of that um, uh, I probably won't say it on the podcast, but mind F star star K, um, uh, which is, uh, I'd highly recommend to read it. So insider account of what was actually happening with Cambridge Analytica. Um, and it, it is, it's basically cold war psyops, uh, industrialized using social media technology. Um, and you know, there, there is evidence that, uh, I think there's more about it today that, you know, there was Russian interference into, um, uh, US and British democracy. Um, we've got an election going live right now. And yeah, I was writing about it today. It's like, are we actually starting to see, you know, there's a great suspicion that there is coordinated attempts at, um, you know, destroy, uh, injuring social cohesion and, um, and democracy here. Um, I, you know, and part of that symptom is the, the QAnon, the, um, uh, you know, the conspiracy theories, which are, are sort of wild, around social media and the rabbit holes down which you know people seem to be be going and it, it's a real theme that that seems to have arisen so um david in the newsletter david farrier's article is um is excellent where they, you know that, that they um actually find a person that initiated one of the rumors going around uh um as you know facebook uh 
uh, over the weekend, you know, about the, about the, the source of the lockdown and actually sort of went to see how, how did that um, uh, uh, come to be. And, and, you know, there's a whole subculture there of just really trigger happy people typing into the, the Reddit group, and, you know, spending nine hours a day in Reddit and that's just everything going around their, their mind. Right. So, um, but at the same time, I'm not absolutely convinced there's a, there's that much coordinate. I mean, suspect but i'm not convinced that there's a there's a coordinated attack going on um i suspect what we you know may be seeing is actually just a emergent behavior of you know capitalism <laughs> in some ways chasing ad revenue and eyeballs um which is sort of what uh you know facebook boils down to is how do we get the most engagement out of people uh to sell the most ad space and eyeballs um and so you, your metric there is we want people to be spend as many hours a day on Facebook platforms and we want them to be, um, you know, refreshing their screen and, and clicking through quickly to see more and more. Um, and so when you gamify that, actually having two communities arguing with each other vehemently actually drives that engagement. So um, I think that, you know, that the, from a mental health and wellbeing point of view, you know, there may be structural things. And COVID has brought this right into, um, perspective right there may be structural things around capitalism that it sort of drives that kind of that behavior um and also you know we we the inequality in society has been you know starkly exposed um by it and you know the 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 sort of debt algorithm if you like that um everybody's sort of a hamster wheeling to try and get off the treadmill um to mix metaphors um yeah it's, it's exposed and maybe you know there may be things that you could fundamentally it, it, in my view it all drives back to the global accounting practices and but and sort of how debt is issued at a globe and traded at a global level um uh so there may be sort of tweaks to that that can be made yeah Mm. Well, I'm glad you raised those points because it's one thing I was just mentioning just before we opened that I was having a look this morning at, um, there was some research done, I can share this with the group, that they, they asked a, a whole group about whether technology was helping people or harming people. And, and these were the themes that came out in how technology was helping people. It said it improved connection, it improved civic engagement, it improved knowledge and improved quality because we were able to share you know, good research or good, um, good ways of working, those sorts yeah. of things. Um, where it harmed, it had those what they call digital defects, so that cognitive decline, as you said, it's almost that outsourcing of, of thinking because you don't mm. have to anymore. Um, I mean, who can remember a phone number these days? You know? but, but, but you see, so I, I actually, um, I'm very positive about that because um, I, I can remember all the, it's, it's very, I mean, everyone will be the same. You can remember all the phone numbers from your childhood, right? But you can't remember anything since, since then. All right, I, that's my experience. Um, but I, I'm happy to outsource that, um, you know, on, on the, in the belief that I'm, net, you know, um, that, that infrastructure, that, that cloud stuff that is never going to go away, um, which is, which is an article of faith, right? Um, that, that, you know, Google, won't, won't uh, collapse or there won't be a sort of solar flare that knocks all the network down um but uh yeah so so i think we've we've only got it enables us to do more right i mean i, I i'm i'm very positive about it um in the main you know technology enables people to do more and to um you know achieve the things that they want to achieve that in in less time be more productive so yes and and it just happens to have these flip side negative effects as well um you know, which, which is where you, you know, you, you work on regulation and you work on um, product design to, to uh, you know, address some of those.
Can I test some of these other ones with you? Go on to get yeah. yeah. So one was digital addiction. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll read them all and then you can um, talk to them. So digital addiction, <laughs> digital distrust. So that's a talk set that... Um, a misinformation piece, mm. um, digital duress, which was the overload of information, and then digital dangers, and that's that security and privacy. So, yeah, it, keen yeah. to hear your thoughts on those ones. Well, addiction is, is clearly there, um, and, you know, and, and actually is, is, it's a key part of product design for these social networks is they, you know, they are optimised, and, and phone design every time. You know, the, the colour of that alert in the, at the top of LinkedIn or Facebook, the red on that is like psychologically tested as getting the maximum response. Yeah, so it's not orange and it's not green and it's not blue. It's red because there's we're you know we have a lizard brainstem that that um, you know focuses more on red. Um, so there is huge amount of algorithmic design, and in some ways we are, you know, you could very cynically think of yourself as a device attached to Google that Google you know, sends you stuff on your screen and you respond to rather than the other way around. Um, and so that the, the concept of, you know, the, the experience of agency that we have um, as individuals, you know, is it, starting to blur, you know, in, in that we are definitely part of a ecosystem together with the, these, um, you know, large, te large technology companies, you know, most of them out of the, out of the US, um, um, but yeah, TikTok's the first one out of China. That's, that's reached a uh, critical scale. Yeah, so they're designed to be addictive. Um, but then, you know, once you uh, realize that, then there, there's, there's tools and techniques to get across that. There's regulations. You can see that, uh, you know, um, Apple and Android now have screen time clocks and so on. So, again, it, it, it's about measuring, measuring that, I think, um, to optimize for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then tell me for this group, you know, as, as wellbeing champions, um, you're considering technology as part of their wellbeing strategy. What are some of the tips that you would suggest? Um, well, look, as I say, I'm very optimistic. Um, and so, you know, I think definitely to explore the opportunities and imagine, um, and experiment, right? So, you know, get an Oculus Rift in the business, in the, um, Oculus Quest into the business, uh, for people to play with, right? And so, you know, expand people's imaginations about what's possible with technology. Um, I, you know, New Zealand is not always at the front line of these things, and sometimes we're sort of late adopters, quite conservative about it. Um, and sometimes we're the, we're the innovators as well. So it, it's um, uh, it, it, there's no hard or fast rule. Um, yeah, so so to treat it like a play exercise, I think, um, and then. You know, and then the, the flip side of that is just always understand the risks. Um, and so we were talking earlier about sort of data governance and um, handling private data on behalf of your employees, I think, you know, is a dangerous area to go to. Um, and so to be, you know, have eyes wide open. If you are thinking of rolling out an app, um, you know, that does handle private information um, from staff, then, you know, make sure that there's very clear controls over that and, um, and that you, the principles are very clear for everyone that's using it. Thanks again for listening today. It's been great to have you along. If you're keen to join the revolutionaries of wellbeing, head to rowwellbeing, that's R-O-W-wellbeing.com and follow the links to sign up. If you're in our community, thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you really soon.